Welcome to the podcast Adelante Leadership. I'm proud to be your co-host, Peter Block Garcia. Welcome to Adelante Leadership. I'm your co-host, Tania Hino. Season two is a series of episodes that encourage and inspire you to embrace the power of your leadership. We are leaning into the knowledge from season one's previous incredible guests. Lonnie Tristan Renteria is a scholar, activist, creative type, teacher, and therapist. He's a former college professor and enjoys the psychoeducation aspect of therapy. He's produced documentaries, written, acted in, and directed shows. Lonnie is an expert in psychology and trauma recovery. He has taught classes in French, Spanish, psychology, special topics, cultural, and critical theory. Teaching is his passion. When he's not teaching, he's engaged in community building events, reading a book, writing, or watching films. Lonnie, good morning. Great to have you back at Adelante Leadership. Good morning, Lonnie. You stated in our last episode that we had with you that rest is resistance. And we took that at heart and we took some rest to recharge in Adelante Leadership. And we wanted to follow up because in the first episode, you said, if we all go in, in community and have meetings, that we all come with traumas, that we all have a backpack of, and knowing that will give us a different starting point. Second episode, you said resting is resistance and there's no one healing everything. And yet here we are again, persistent, figuring out if there's any tools that people can take that you recommend to start diving into healing their own trauma besides finding a therapy. This is something that has been a, you know, since the new year, you know, you, you have people to talk about the uh, resolutions and how my clients say, well, I don't want to do resolutions. And, and, and others, yeah, you know, I kind of want to, but I don't know. And I said, you know what, why don't we just focus on what's sustainable? And I said, you know, the mantra for me this year is 2023 is the year of me. And what I mean by that is the year of paying attention to what our needs are, paying our attention to what we want out of our lives. It's not very, it's not selfish because oftentimes people will feel like, well, that's really selfish to, you know, that you're making it about yourself. I said, well, no, because, you know, when you're paying attention and taking care of yourself, you're essentially can take care of other people too. You've got the energy, you've got those reserves. But the idea here is to be able to start looking at part of healing is to really get a sense of what our emotional needs are, what our expectations are, what our hopes are. And then the, the, the hardest one is figuring out what are we struggling to accept sometimes? Because sometimes they're just realities in our life that we just can't, we can't change. And so if we can work with those, then we, we have an ability to figure out, okay, what are the next steps since I have these insights? You know, too often people say, well, I have, you know, I know about this and I know that about that. I have this insight and that insight. And then no one does anything with it. Then how do we expect change? How do we expect progress in our own lives, uh, even within our own communities? You know, again, sometimes, you know, we hear, and, and I know we've talked about this, like, well, well, we know this happens and we know this happens. Okay, we have the insight. Why isn't anyone doing anything? In a lot of ways, that's what's holding us back. For example, I hear people say, well, I do this because of this. Okay. And is that working for you? Well, no. Okay. Well, why haven't you done anything about it? And it's like, oh, okay. Cause I have to do the work. 
So how do we create new habits? That's a really good question. Part of it is figuring out, again, what it is that we need, you know, the things that we want to see changed in our life. You know, habits don't happen overnight. Uh, habits take some time. For example, you know, New Year's, well, I'm going to go to the gym. That's a, that's a great idea, but habits happen almost in a bite size so when I'm working with people who are dealing with depression, anxiety, or a host of other things, they we, we want to start small and we want to start with very specific things. And one of the things that I like to use that are very appropriate across the board are SMART goals. Mm -hmm. SMART goals are really powerful. The acronym of SMART is Specific, Measurable, Achievable, Relatable, uh, Realistic, and Timely. And so the idea is you start with a very specific goal. You say something to the effect like, I will do this uh, this many times a week, or I will check in with myself three times a week around this issue. Is it achievable? Of course it is achievable, but I have to also be in it. I have to be intentional about it. I have to really put my energy into it. Measurable, you know, it depends on, on what you're doing, but measurable could be the days of the week that you do it. Uh, is it realistic? Yeah, it's realistic because this is important to me because this is the potential outcome. This is the, the benefit of doing this. And timely is just to kind of set up the time frame in which we want to do it. So for example, if we just take one that's really basic that I do with often with clients, it's, you know, they want to do weight loss. I said, well, weight loss is the benefit. Let's look at the changes that you need to do because mm -hmm. most of it is changes in your behaviors, in your attitude. Part of it is, okay, you know, change the way you're eating, change the way, you know, change the way you're doing exercise or add exercise, and then you'll see the weight loss. And so that would be the more specific goal for someone who might be dealing with, you know, traumatic effects. Well, okay, I will want to diminish, you know, my reactivity. I measure it by being able to catch myself the many times that I am reactive or the things that trigger me. Is it a you know, achievable, of course it is. And why is it achievable? And why is it important? It's important because I impact other people. And it's realistic because, it, you know, then people might view me differently, or, or I might view the world differently, I won't see it as a dangerous place anymore. You know, I, and again, I'm being hypothetical here. But the big picture here is our habits also can impact other people. And so when we're able to change up our habits, it is going to have a positive impact. You know, if I'm reactive all the time, who's going to want to hang out with me? Who's going to want to talk to me? Who's going to want to work with me? But if I'm responsive and say, okay, well, in these times when I'm really upset or I, I don't agree with people, I'm going to sit back, reflect, recognize my needs, expectations, hopes, and then articulate those. Mm -hmm. So I'm being responsive at this point. And now people are more willing to to talk and communicate, collaborate, uh, as opposed to me just shutting down or getting really mad and, and well, you know, I know, you know, I have the answer because that happens in families, that happens in peer groups, that happens at work. So that, I mean, that's an example of how mm -hmm. changing a habit from reactiveness to responsiveness has a positive impact. With this insight of, in the first episode, you mentioned how leadership is often born out of a need for change. And that change starts with ourselves. What are a few simple things maybe that you advise people to start treating and resolving their trauma? One of the practices that I've also been doing for at least the last 20 years is mindfulness work. Mindfulness is a very powerful tool. And in its true form, it's a very powerful tool because it allows you to sit with those emotions, those thoughts, 
in a space where you're actually noticing them. What I often re refer to in mindfulness is that being able to be present to yourself and notice the thoughts and notice that you're having the thoughts or you're noticing the emotions. Because what it allows you to do is it allows you to sit with the emotions and it allows you to sit with the thoughts and recognize that they're just thoughts, they're just emotions. And because you have that presence and you're able to kind of separate from them, you're able to look at them a lot closer and you're able to, instead of trying to uh, rationalize them or explain them away, you just sit with those emotions. It's a really hard thing to do at first uh, because you go, oh, you know, I understand this emotion or I understand these thoughts. They come from a, a particular place. I'm not there anymore, or this isn't, this adaptation I have isn't necessary. And again, this is what trauma is ultimately in, in post-traumatic stress is that you're adapted to an environment or a situation um, that's going to keep you safe. And, and then it just stays with us. And then we continue with that adaptation is not working in the present. And so the idea here is to be able to sit back and go, huh, I noticed that I feel fear because this is one that I, I get often. Um, it, you know, I get really angry and, and okay, let's stop. What are you noticing? You know, let's really dive down to, to what those primary emotions are and just get a sense of them, you know? Um, and oftentimes I'll say, I feel, I'm feeling a lot of disappointment. I'm feeling a lot of fear. Um, I'm feeling, you know, unseen, undervalued. And, you know, for us, you know, especially, uh, you know, BIPOC folks, a lot of times we, we do feel undervalued and that's, that's an adversity. We don't feel seen mm -hmm. and we get angry, which mm -hmm. I think rightfully so, you know, mm -hmm. and, and this is true, you know, when I'm, I'm, you know, this is true around gender, this is true around, and so the idea is to be able to come back and go, okay, yeah, this, these things are real. Here's how I'm feeling. But before I go into anger, before I go into reactivity, let me just get a sense of what this is, have an understanding, know that this is you know, this is true of my experience. And then instead of going into, you know, a narrative that's going to be potentially harmful, but when I'm angry, they win. When mm -hmm. I react, they win, mm -hmm. people win. Mm -hmm. You know, the people that are trying to harm us or the, or this, this, the, the, the institution, you know, that that's created the, the scenario. So, okay, what do I do next? And this is kind of where the work you know gandhi did a lot of the peace studies around mm -hmm. that it's like work on understanding and then be transformative sublimate it take that energy sublimate it make it beautiful make it productive take that energy and use it for some for good in the way whether it's for yourself for the community when we're talking about leadership it's like in a lot of ways leaders need to not be leaders we need to be followers let, let, let me use the therapy approach. So narrative therapy, when the person comes into the room, you know, they're coming in because they have needs, hopes, they need to work through their own stuff. They're set because of this, you know, cultures that they're living in is that you're the expert, you're going to be the leader, you're the power in the room. What I've found is that when you're looking at change, we can look to the leader, but they, we can't look at them necessarily as power. Because the whole point behind that person, like the therapist, is to teach them that they have agency, that they have power, that mm -hmm. they just may not have the tools. And so the idea here is to be able to express to them, and this is what I express to my clients constantly, is I don't have any power. I don't have any magical 
Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not Harry Potter. I don't, there's no magic to what we're doing. What I'm doing here is sitting with you, following your life story, giving you tools so that you can empower yourself so you make your life better so you can thrive. It's something that I, I really push on so that you can thrive and then you can be the change and then you can find your power. You've always had it. It's just now a matter of finding it. But I feel like to lead is not necessarily leader as a position of colonizing or leader as a position of I'm your boss and you're going to do this and I know what's true. No, but identifying the power within everybody, that's a true leader and enabling them to see their own power because they know what needs to change. Even though we are in positions of leadership, doesn't necessarily mean that we are hurting in the structure that they're hurting. In reality, they are the ones that need to lead us on how we can help them so they can lead. How freeing yourself and feeling all this trauma will help others free themselves? Well, a lot has to do by example and by sharing. You know, a lot of what you've asked me to do, you know, especially in the first episode, you know, why did, why did I come into leadership? And I opened up and explained to you the things that happened to me and shared those things. I could have kept those private, but those are part of who I am. Those are the adversities that I went through. And as a therapist, you know, my training is different from what the original kind of the therapy model was because of my training in narrative and emotion focus work, um, we're allowed to disclose about our lives. And what's important, I think, is that we're able to, to disclose about our lives because we've already processed those things. And here are the lessons I've learned through this. Here's what's helped me. And I see you know, where you're at. Maybe it's not the same thing, but here's my story. Here's how I worked through it. And so now I'm modeling, right? Because if, if, if I was reactive, I'm modeling reactivity, right? But if I'm modeling responsiveness, you know, I've, I've been in situations where things have been tense and I've been very calm through it. And everyone's like, how do you be calm through it? How do you stay calm through these, these really intense things? It's, well, I'm trying to model, but I'm trying to get everybody else to do, you know, to be reflective. To, and occasionally, you know, I'll throw those questions out again. What do you need? What are you mm -hmm. expecting? What are you hoping for? All right. What are you struggling to accept? You know, because I think that's the one that where all the conflict is. My needs and, and expectations aren't being met. So I'm upset. Okay, well, what are those? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, can this change? Can this not change? Well, this can't change. Okay, well, what do we do with it? That's the way to do this is to come to a place where you're able to tell your story, tell how you, you know, reframed it, what you learned from it, and what, what you're doing with it. Because um, in a lot of ways, my story is still going on. I'm still perpetuating the things that I learn in the work that I do, in my friendships, in the you know roles that I take. I think the key to what you're saying is that when we're modeling, we have no expectation from the other people and have no private or second motive. Be truthful to what you're doing and do this with real vulnerability. No, I, I definitely agree. And one of my favorite researchers is Brene Brown. She talks mm -hmm. about shame. She talks about, you know, vulnerability is a very powerful place to be. Once you've already divulged, disclosed these mm -hmm. parts of you, 
what is there to attack if someone wants to attach? It's oh. someone to say, oh, you're this and you're that. And you're like, I know that. And I'm okay with that. Working on it. Okay. You know, what, what, what else do you got? That can also be very powerful. This is why I like the model that I was trained in is that when I'm in the room and someone is struggling to be vulnerable and then I'm vulnerable with them, that's a very powerful moment for them because it's like, hey, my therapist even disclosed this information. And okay, well, I feel safe with you that, that you're able to tell me this. When you were talking about before we become reactive and jump to anger, oftentimes I feel like what leads up to the anger stage and reactivity stage is I was feeling hurt or afraid. And maybe that's part of the thing about not being vulnerable. What are some things that you think that would be helpful to, for us to begin recognizing and addressing? Well, and, and it really depends because, I mean, it, it, it shows up differently for different cultures, right? You know, the, the Spanish did stuff, the, the French did stuff, the Germans did stuff, you know, they, they're different traditions, different points of view. I think ultimately it, it brings it back to the self. And that's why I developed those five questions when I'm working with my clients is, Checking in with yourself first, because in unpacking those pieces, knowing what my needs are, because everyone has needs, emotional needs, all of us. It's what drives us. What drives us also is our emotional safety and our connection to people that, you know, colonization and traditions, those things don't get in the way here because those are fundamental to the human condition. It's what happens afterwards, right? It's the belief systems that we learn, the experiences that we have that start to create those templates, if you want, in our mind, that could be our own prison. And so the idea here in what you're saying, Peter, is being able to go, you know, this thing happened, I'm feeling really hurt, and I'm mm -hmm. feeling really unseen or misunderstood. Let me just sit with that. And as I'm going through those emotions, this allows me to evaluate what my beliefs are is my belief that I'm supposed to be respected. Well, of course it is. You know, we all want to mm -hmm. be respected. Or is it my belief that I'm the boss? And so therefore people have to A, B, C, D, F, G. And it's like, well, okay, have I earned it? Have I done mm -hmm. the things to earn that set of beliefs mm -hmm. possibly? In this respect, I think that's where we can push aside all these other things so that when we're being honest with ourselves, we have that capacity to start looking at, well, was it something that, you know, was modeled for me? Is that something I observed? Is that, that part of the, the culture, you know, that I'm in? And I've been very lucky that I have lived in three very separate cultures. I grew up in America, but also lived in a very Latin environment. And I also lived in France. You know, living in France, the way I moved in America, the way I moved in Mexican circles, you don't move the same way. It's a kind of a shock to the French and it's a shock to you, you know, that culture shock. And so that culture shock, I think, is very helpful too in getting you to understand the things that made you here, that work here, don't work here mm -hmm. in this other environment. That is a very practical way of actually sitting there and reflecting on, ooh, these habits, these ways of doing things don't work. Really, what it comes down to is our habits and our ways of seeing things are really, they're all socially constructed. Our, our uh -huh. thoughts are not our own in the sense mm -hmm. that we absorb them growing up and we absorb it's just like colonization, right? You absorb those things. Those other things are necessarily part of you, but you absorb it because it's modeled for you. It's almost enforced and then reinforced. And so part of it is coming back to that mindful set. What are my needs, expectations, hopes? You put those things away and then you're able to look at them 
look at the things that are affecting you and really unpack it and get some insight is okay, this is how it was modeled, or this is how things happen in our culture, but this is actually hurting me or, yeah. you know, bigger space. Oh, this is actually hurting our community because this is a habit that we all tend to have. You know, it gets played out in, you know, television or, oh, it's normalized here. Oof, yeah. That's not, it's not good. It almost sounds like you, the five agreements that we construct our own world and the more cultures we navigate, we broaden our horizon and that it doesn't have to be a reality. It, it's only a reality when we make it a reality. Now, I know, Lani, you have worked with Latin youth to include healing as a part of their leadership development. Tell us about what you did and what you learned from that work. Oof. <laughs> Do we have a fourth episode? No, <laughs> One thing, and this is what was helpful with the, working with the youth, is and their experience in many ways reflected my experience. You know, a lot of the the youth that I worked with, their parents were essentially blue collar workers. And so the work ethic was very strong in their family. We talked about education in, in the previous episode. So education wasn't as reinforced or elevated. And so these kids, for the most part, they very reactive because their parents also very reactive. Mm, mm. You know, you definitely had the hierarchy in the house. And one of the things that we addressed constantly with them was the resilience and resistance. The resilience part was because of the environments they were growing up in. They were reactive. I, you know, I had a, a, a kid, for example, who, you know, when he get angry, he'd punch a hole in the wall. And I would ask him about that. And he says, well, you know, I had, it's the only way I can release my frustration, my anger. And I said, well, do you have an understanding around your frustration, anger? What is that about? You know, and this is kind of what Peter was talking about. I was like, he was feeling hurt. He was feeling scared. He's feeling disappointed. And he, he couldn't aim it at anything because no one had really taught him how to use that energy in a way that was helpful. And he couldn't really tell his family how he's feeling because it would get shut down. I mean, that's the part that you hear mm -hmm. where you know, the parent, you know, do as I say, mm -hmm. don't show your feelings or, mm -hmm. you know, that the feelings are weak because mm -hmm. that's how they were also potentially brought up. I know that in my family, you didn't show feelings. And if you mm -hmm. showed feelings, it was, you were weak. So sensitivity was frowned upon. I have a really interesting experience where we were doing a mindful exercise and it was all young women in this particular group. And I asked them to close their eyes and, and to kind of sit in their body. And I said, we're going to feel feelings. We're going to try different emotions. And I would go into positive emotions and negative emotions. And I said, okay, I want you to go into feelings of friendship. What does friendship feel like? Where does it you feel in your body? Where do you feel love? Where do you feel hate? And I said, where do you feel confidence? Where do you feel pride? At the end of the exercise, we went through the, you know, what their experience was. I said, where did you feel love? And they said, oh, we felt it here in our chest. And I said, which one was the easiest emotion to get into? And they all said anger. And then I said, what, which one was the hardest? And they all said confidence. And I said, where did you feel confidence? I said, we couldn't feel it. The majority said, I don't know where I would feel yeah. it. And then if you think about it, if we were to sit in our emotions and where do we feel them, we can definitely spot, you know, I feel anger here, maybe my stomach, maybe disappointment. I feel love. I feel friend. We definitely feel in our bodies. And that was very telling. And I said, what do you think this is about? And what we came up with is that you don't get built up. And part of what we do in therapy is we help people build themselves up so they can have that felt sense of what confidence, this is what confidence feels like. This is what it is. This is how mm -hmm. I hold myself. With it. And I think that's 
an area where we could definitely improve in our communities is that mm-hmm. you know, the, the difference between how things are, are modeled for us. And it's not false to build someone up. You know, I've heard people say, well, if I laud them enough that they're going to get spoiled or they're, they're going to get this or that. It's like, no, no. We, as we do that. Right. You're reminding me, Lonnie, of like in Spanish, egotistical was always a negative thing. Or you were maleducado if you were too maleducado. egotistical. Right. But it overlooked the point of appreciating and validating and encouraging. I'm having an aha moment here, Lonnie, about how your therapeutic support of folks is an act of leadership because you're about empowering folks. It um, is, but you know, I want to add something to this. Yeah. And not to sound, you know, <laughs> not to sound uh, egotistical, uh, egotistical, <laughs> but, but that therapy, for me, that therapy for me is an act of love. Leadership for me is an act of love. What I tell my my clients and what I've done, you know, in other other circles, I've told everyone, I want to leave this world a better place than what I inherited. Yes, and if I can do this through an act of love. Every time I say that, I get some eye rolling, right, from people, because people will question me. There's something for you there. You're gaining something out of this. But we don't have to gain anything out of acting of love. And the act of love in itself, you're already giving that to yourself because you're being kind to yourself by being kind to others. And every time I feel a little pinch in my stomach, like, my gosh, that sounds very egocentristic. I always get one eye roll of, especially woman. Because even Lonnie, when you were about to say that, you paused or it was a little hesitant there. And I think I've said this at times too, Tanya, and I think it's more about other people aren't understanding what we mean by that. The fear of being misunderstood when we say it and the fear of it being seen as us being egotistical. But so just to sort of recap a little bit, you had mentioned five key questions earlier in the conversation that you helped to guide people through their own journeys of leadership, decolonizing, and trauma. What Can you just recap those five for us? Definitely. And <laughs> I tell folks, pay these forward too. So the first question is, when I'm dealing with an adversity, what is my need? Here, it's my emotional need. You know, did I need to feel seen, heard, understood, loved unconditionally? The second question is, what were my expectations? What were the expectations of myself, of other people? What are my hopes? And hopes and expectations can be similar. The hopes of something more longer term, you know, my hope is that I find a good job. My hope is that I be a good person. My hope is that I travel. It's vague, but it's much bigger. Sometimes when we're struggling, you know, with our adversities and we're getting upset, it's a need or an expectation isn't being met, right? Those first two questions. So is this something I can change or is this some, a real reality, right? When people come to me and say, well, this has happened. I said, well, I can't change that for you. This is the way the world is right now. So the fourth question is, what am I struggling to accept? Okay, the sky's blue. I can't change that. We live in a society that has certain things that we don't like. Okay, right now at the moment, we can't change that. But I can take action steps in the future to make that change. I have to accept that I can't change people. People need to want to change themselves. Because sometimes they'll say, well, you know, this this is happening or my boss is this and that. I said, well, is your boss willing to change? Well, I don't know. Uh, Do you think if you try to impact your boss or 
express a stereoscopical change? Well, no. <laughs> okay, well, we need to accept that that's not going to happen, right? And so when you've answered those questions, you've unpacked them, it gives you a chance to, and, and these aren't questions you can answer right away. I find that when I have to sit with those questions myself, sometimes it'll take me a couple of days to get through really understanding what those mean for me at the, the moment. And this is what I was saying earlier. Once you can unpack those and understand those, then you can say, all right, because I have the insight, here's what I can do about it. Because in the end, I'm the only person who can change this reality for me. It seems so simple, the five questions, and yet it seems so hard at the same time. Like, just answer these questions, and yet it's so complicated once you start answering them. I just <laughs> want to follow up with the love piece. Does it have to be when you actually feel this love to give to people? What's the catch? What's the catch, Lani? What's your catch when you're trying to do revolutionize therapy with love? There's no catch. Um, yeah. You just have healthier people who are going to make the world healthier. I mean, I'm not a psychopath. I don't need. I don't need a. <laughs> I don't need a trophy, you know, that I put in my my house. Was, look at what I did, you know. Look what I did, you know. Just yesterday, this woman had so much stuff, and she had to get inside, and she had a baby, and then she reaches for the door, and I ran, and I said, "Hold on." And I opened the door for her and she walked in and she looked back and she didn't thank me or anything. And that was okay. Because in a sense, at least where I live right now, that's almost an expectation of people that you're going to help them. This is something that I didn't experience in the Northwest. And I hate to say that about the Northwest, but yeah. people open the door for me and it's almost like an expectation that they're going to do it for me. And I, so, you know, it's like, why not do this kindness and not expect anything back? It's not going to hurt me to open the door for her. Yeah. And why do we expect a thank you back too, right? Is there anything else that you would like to share to encourage young girl Latina leaders? Yes. So if I could really just learn about you, one, learn your history, two, and learn to be kind to yourself. I know it's, it's a hard thing to say, or it seems simple, and but a hard thing to do, I should say. Because once you recognize that you're being kind to yourself, you're being compassionate to yourself, all the other things that could potentially make you feel burdened or bothersome, they just go away because you realize like, I'm doing things with the best of intentions. So I'm not harming anybody. I'm not I'm living my life. I came here to thrive and I'm going to do just that. And that means being kind to myself. I'm not going to be worried about what people think about me. Uh, I'm not going to be worried about my actions because I know I'm doing the best that I can. I'm being intentional about my actions. So I don't have anything to worry about because I'm not, you know, again, I'm not bringing harm to myself and not bringing harm to other people. And it's a way of just feeling at peace. All these spiritual beliefs say, know thyself. And it's such a hard thing to do. We want everybody else to do good things to us, but we don't do good things for ourselves. And the minute we're good to ourselves and like we actually are kind and loving to ourselves, non-judgmental, we automatically are going to be good to other people. Like if we're not hard to ourselves, we're not judgmental to ourselves and we don't feel doubt and insecure then whatever comment people make, it's not going to make us insecure because we are kind to ourselves and we're feeling secure of ourselves. We don't need no. outside approval. Right. And we also understand that everybody else has their burdens too. And why am I going to add to their burden? Well, Lonnie, thank you so much for another episode and great conversation. I'm resisting the urge to ask a follow-up question. <laughs> Me too. 
Thank you, Lani. I appreciate all that you have provided us and you're giving us the gift of passing it on. So thank you. Yes. Thanks, Lani. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Adelante Leadership. I hope you enjoyed part three of Dr. Lani Renteria. If you haven't listened to part one, part two, please go back and listen to his amazing strategies and reflections on uh, healing trauma. Join us on our next episode, Reflections with Lupita Torres and her wisdom. Until next time. We welcome your comments on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Apple. For more resources and information, visit our website, www.adelanteleadership.com. We want to hear your thoughts, ideas, and your Latin leadership story. Muchas gracias por escuchar a Adelante Leadership. Thank you for tuning in and stepping into your Latin leadership.